Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And by contributions from listeners like you. Literally at ElwoodCityLimits.Libson.com. Thank you. Cha-ching, cha-ching, baby. Stop whatever you're doing. Let me hear you say, Sunday was Lucas Mancini Day. Happy Lucas Mancini Day to all the listeners out there. Uh, and do you know what's crazy, Will, is yeah. that Lucas Mancini Day actually was on the same day as Rusev Day uh, yeah. this year, which is, is, is nuts. So happy how about, Rusev Day as well. How about that? What a coincidence. No, uh, I'm, I'm 23. It's good to be here. Uh, they call it the Michael Jordan year, uh, and I uh, I plan to enjoy it. I'm, I'm already having a great time as a 23-year-old. Even though Blink-182 said no one would like me, I'm, uh, I had a happy birthday, and I, I hope the year continues with the good vibes. So I guess, yeah, our um, I, I, I'll have to try and remember that our age gap is five years. I often... I often forget that because I'll be turning I'll be turning 28 this summer. It's it's a long way to go before my birthday, but all the same, uh, happy Lucas Mancini Day. Was it a good one? Oh my God, it was awesome. I don't know if you saw on Twitter. Uh, you you wanted to talk about uh, my parents got some family friend of theirs to put together a UFC cake that was really impressive. Had a fake chocolate octagon and everything that was so cool it was very cool <laughs> i almost didn't want to eat it but I... it was actually very good as well like it was a cookie dough cake which was i hadn't had before um so it was like white cake with like a strip of cookie dough in the middle uh so that was very tasty but also aesthetically it was just awesome it was real and the person the lady who made it apparently she didn't know anything about ufc she just did like did it from google image searches so i was really impressed I liked the uh, little dig uh, one of your friends got in about how uh, GS- ah. GSP with his shoulders on the mat as he should be. Oh my goodness, that was my boss. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> oh, can't really can't really get too spicy on the book with uh, <laughs> with your boss. Well, I'm glad that you had a good birthday slash Lucas Mancini day. But there's a, I mean, there's a a present that you haven't received yet, at least physically. I'll, I I'm. I'm hoping to get that to you soon. Maybe I'll have to Ooh. mail it myself. But I'm talking, of course, about the present that we received here at Elwood City Limits headquarters. Oh, I saw. So I haven't seen this physical item in person, but I, I saw the pictures, and it's way up my alley. Um, I'm all about this this new craze, this new trend. So, uh, why the uh, you're talking about the enamel pins we that's, received, right? That's right. That's absolutely right. Sent by. Our wonderful listeners, Teresa and Stella. That's our first podcast gift. Thank you very much to both of you. It was a uh, it was a landmark moment for me. <laughs> I, it was it was nice because I uh, I received it at the end of a long work day, so I came home and there it was, and it made me very very happy. And I can't wait to give it to Lucas, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's awesome. We don't at all require our listeners to give us gifts, but that's going to be something very special for this podcast that we're a year and a half into. 
I can't say enough good things about the the item itself and about the gesture. I was actually I was in Urban Outfitters the other day because Urban Outfitters gives you twenty percent off on your birthday. Oh, uh, and I was in there and I saw they have like a little enamel pins kiosk, and there was enamel pins of the Arthur meme with his clenched fist, but they were officially branded Arthur merchandise. At least, you know what? I should have gotten a closer look at them. But from a distance, I could see the Arthur logo. And so it, it, like, like the packaging had, like, the official Arthur logo. So I assumed it was, like, uh, uh, an official item. But it seemed odd that they were capitalizing on such a a violent meme. Yeah. That is, that is, whoa. I'm going to have to go to Urban Outfitters sometime (laughs) soon. Not, and not wait for my birthday. That's a while away. All right, Lucas, uh, it's been a while since we've recorded. Uh, we've got a couple of emails here in the backlog. Shall we get to them? Yeah, hit me with the good stuff. Okay. So our first one is the one that's been waited on for a long time. It's from Hawken Bailey. Uh, they say, about your last podcast, you talked about an ask from our Tumblr regarding the song Crazy Bus. I feel that I should correct a few things. So Hawkins says, the songwriter for Crazy Bus, then head writer Joe Fallon, who is on the Arthur credits quite a bit, did not leave the show due to tax fraud. He and fellow head writer Ken Scarborough left to work on another PBS Kids show. Which PBS Kids show do you think they left for? Uh, the Crap Brothers Go Wild, or whatever that animated one is called. Not, not quite, but it, but it is a show that we've talked about before. It would be Between the Lions... Oh my goodness, Between the Lines. Yeah. Uh, I think the person who asked the question might have confused Joe Fallon leaving with the Cenar tax scandal, which happened around the same time. So maybe uh, the conflation of stories there, but uh, accounts differ here. It's all sorts of drama happening down at PBS. (laughs) You can never tell with those guys... They're going to make another Ken Burns documentary about the whole thing or something if it if it keeps going like this. But it seems uh, but CNR of course is the Canadian uh animation group. So it seems that they had a bit of a scandal oh. going on as well. Oh. Huh. We move on now uh to an email from Isaac. Uh, he wanted to point out that the martial arts that Sue Ellen was doing in the previous episode was Taekwondo. It's later revealed that Sue Ellen does indeed do Taekwondo. Uh, also, Isaac's friend wanted him to list his top five Arthur characters. Are you ready for the list? Uh, not only, Before you get to the list, I will say that I should have picked up on that because my dad, believe it or not, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, is a second-degree black belt in Taekwondo. So I, I, I should have recognized it when I saw it. If not in the podcast, you've mentioned it to me, but like, <laughs> dang, dude, your dad's the coolest. <laughs> I think so, too. Uh, so this is Isaac's friend's list of his top five Arthur characters. We've got Binky in at number five, criminal, criminally low, if you ask me. <laughs> number four is Muffy. Ooh. Okay, this is just weird. This is controversial. Number three is D.W., Okay, that's res- that's a solid choice. Respectful. Solid number three. I nope. feel like my, DW would be around there on my list as well. Actually, that's probably where the DW spot is. Number two is Francine. I I can see there's a very specific type of person who would put Francine that high on the list. Uh, it's like I wouldn't put Francine there, but I think Francine is a very she's got a lot of depth to her. And here's the best part: number one, Mister Ratburn. Oh, a, a personal favorite of mine. 
Final uh, final quote here from Isaac. The reason he likes Ratburn is because he thinks he's lit. I yeah, I guess Mr. Ratburn's pretty lit. Yeah, in a in an educational kind of way. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. He studies lit, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> we go now to an email from John Dulong from the John Dulong Show. It's titled Bizarro ECL Pod. Oh, I think I've heard of. I, 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 I think I might have heard tell of what this email is about. Uh, he says, "Hey guys, long time no write in. First of all, I'm a fella who listens to a lot of podcasts." Uh, I say this as a way to flatter you guys, so some nice stuff there about us. Uh, But also to say that I typically listen at two times speed. In order to get your email address, I had to listen to the beginning of last week's episode over at elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. Listening to you guys at regular speed. Wait, 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 wait. I'll do it for for John. Libsyn.com. L I B S Y N. Listening to you guys at regular speed after the old double time experience makes you sound like you've had too much cake with Mr. Ratburn and you're lethargic. Imagine going, imagine going cake crawling with Ratburn. Oh my goodness gracious! I feel like my I'm, I'm I have one piece of cake and my tummy starts to hurt. So I definitely would not be able to. Whether it's a, a cake eating contest or let's say an old timey pie eating contest, ah. uh, I don't think I would fare too well. John's writing us about a weird situation that happened to him this week. Uh, he tweeted to us that he thought that he saw you, Lucas, at the grocery store this past week. That's right. But it turned out that it wasn't you after all. Then he saw somebody that he thought was me driving down the street on his way to school two days later, which I confirmed that it wasn't me. Gentlemen, I have seen the Bizarro ECL pod crew in the wild. Your doppelgangers, your evil twins, the darkest timeline version of the ECL pod come to invade our timeline, which begs the question, what do Evil Will and Evil Lucas podcast about? Uh, John says that he thinks it might be the Katie and Orby radio hour, but I think the darkest timeline version of the ECL pod is something much more evil, sinister, much darker. It's that Teletubbies podcast that we joked about way back a year and a half ago. Uh, I think we actually opened up a portal to the alternate evil Will and Lucas dimension, uh, and I think an audio file fell out on April 1st of last year. Uh, So if he wants to hear... Real life evidence of the bizarro version of this podcast. It exists. You just got to go back to an episode from April 1st of last year. That's all I'll say. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> I'll also say this uh, people mistake, mistakenly recognize me all the time. I hear this from family members all the time, and it's because I'm pretty much the most average looking person on the planet. I have a, a dark brown hair, a beard, and glasses, and I'm five foot six with brown eyes. So. There is a lot of people that look like me. Your personal style is very in these days. There are a lot yeah, of people, yeah. who are, a lot of people trying to jack your swagger. Uh, anyhow, guys, enjoying the show. It's a pleasure, and of course, uh, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, kids, you can listen to the John DeLong Show every Monday on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I've been a guest on that show, so if you need an in. Uh, John and I talk a bit about wrestling, so you can go and check out that episode, but it's a good time. And he says, Lucas, perhaps we'll meet for real someday soon, and you can be a guest on his show. Cheers, John. I, I can only hope. 
Okay, one last email that actually just came in under the wire today. Um, it's it's from Rohan. Hey, guys, my name is Rohan. Yes, just like Lord of the Rings. Thank you for answering my question before I got to it, Rohan. Just wanted to take some time to say how much I enjoy the show. Loves the back and forth. Uh, loves our side tangents, especially when it comes to wrestling. Rohan says, hey, Colt Cabana, how you doing? <laughs> uh, but a couple of quick questions here. Uh, I'm going to save number one for the last. Uh, so since I know you guys are huge smarks, which means that we uh, uh, know a little bit about the backstage goings on of wrestling or think uh, we do or think we, know, oh, think we do. We know about the business. <laughs> are you excited for WrestleMania? Hopefully we'll see AJ versus Shinsuke, something I never thought would happen just five years ago. Are you excited for WrestleMania at all, Lucas? I'm always excited for WrestleMania. Uh, it's one of those things where it doesn't matter who's on it, what's happening, what's the direction going forward. It's the it's the ritual of it. It's seeing it with my friends all getting together. Uh, that's the part that I get really excited for. Um, oh, it's just six hours of nonstop fun. Uh, when it comes to actually like storyline stuff, I'm like, Meh. the main event. Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, that kind of stuff. Not too stoked on that, but uh, I'm always excited for WrestleMania. I'm excited to see what Flo Rida song they use this year. <laughs> you know, I'm always I've tell I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, but every time there's a WrestleMania, I get so excited that and me and all my friends do this. We just listen to the WrestleMania theme over and over and over and over again on that weekend, like before the WrestleMania, and. I swear, at first it was my house, the one year it was my house. That might have been a SummerSlam song now that I think about it. But uh, the Give Me the Green Light by Pitbull fe featuring Flo Rider, there was a good like week and a half where I did not hear a piece of music that wasn't that song. So. <laughs> Everything that you dream going to make you, ooh, eh, till you scream. Let me tell you, there was like, I found depth in that song that I thought nobody... <laughs> Like, I really spent too much time thinking about what the, Give Me the Green Light really was about. Uh, Lunch Money Lewis doing that dance. They, they drive those cars. Oh, my goodness. What a great song. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, much like Lucas, I get excited for spending WrestleMania with my friends because now I have my, uh, my closest-knit friend group are now into wrestling. So we really have a – we go all out for WrestleMania. We even have, like, a sign to point to. Uh, it's yeah, it's just a, it's just a great time. I love the atmosphere of that whole weekend. So regardless of what the card looks like, I think there'll always be a part of me that gets excited for WrestleMania, kind of like how I always get excited for the Royal Rumble. So I'll say a general yes. Uh, Rohan also asks regarding the show, Arthur. What are your favorite unusual pairings? I really enjoyed Binky and DW during the Green Chip episode. Um, so yeah, we were talking about how uh that that's a good one. Um, I'm trying to think of any more. Un I kind of like, I guess unusual for me is like kind of like in the episode we're going to talk about where Mr. Ratburn is kind of uh, more friendly or uh, to the kids. So he's, he's a little bit more chummy with them. It's it's a little bit strange at first, but I like getting to see other sides of Mr. Ratburn. Uh, I have a bunch. I One of my favorite things about this show is when they put two contrasting characters with one another. Uh, a recent example is Buster and Fern. As a detective duo, I thought that was really fun. Um, Binky and DW is a really interesting and funny pairing. Mm -hmm. uh, and Brain and Muffy, uh, no, excuse me, Brain and Francine out for revenge was also a fun pairing. Specifically, Evil Brain. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun with that character. 
Uh, I agree on Buster and Fern. That was one I would have never seen coming, but... Uh, oh, that was... Buster and Fern could have their own, like, show. And it's just them trying to solve, like, schoolyard mysteries, and that would be awesome. I loved Buster and Fern as a pair. Postcards from Buster and Fern. Okay, Rohan's final question here, which is actually their first. Um, have you guys ever considered making some money off the podcast? Again, I'm also anti-corporatism and making your entire podcast about <laughs> ads, but you guys work pretty hard on this show and tend to have a show out every week and, of course, our day jobs. It definitely ain't easy. I get why you don't monetize it, but I just want to let you know I'll gladly pay a few... I'd gladly pay a few bucks to get more insight into the mind of Mancini. You're a, you're a hot property. I think we're both a hot property. Uh, my answer for this is that, I mean, we don't really know how. Uh, if Squarespace picks up the phone, buddy, you better know I'm going to answer it. Uh, I, I ain't too proud to sling some blue apron, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but I, I just, I don't really know how to uh, set up those deals, to be honest with you. Um, I, th- I think it has to do with uh, your podcast has to, like, get so many... I think I looked into this one time. Like, you have to get so many view, um, like listens within a week or within a time period, and I don't think we're quite there yet. And if you don't mind, I'll just kind of not answer for us, but I'll just kind of put this in here. Uh, I, I did consider at one point at the year mark, actually, Lucas and I had a little bit of a discussion about, like, should we get a Patreon? Should we uh, start looking towards um, doing monetary kind of stuff? So the thing about that is is twofold. First of all, I I don't I never I I guess this kind of comes from my own maybe lack of self-esteem but I don't want to assume that there are a lot of people out there who would be willing to pay uh for us not that I not that this podcast would ever be behind a paywall this is going to be free for even if we do decide to monetize at some point uh you know if we ever decide to get a Patreon that's that's a lot of work and uh I, I know for people I know who have had who, Patreon campaigns and all that sort of thing, eventually the work you put into it equals the money you get back. Like, you know, a lot the, the typical story is like, oh, I make so much money off of Patreon, I don't need a day job, that kind of thing. But it also does take a lot of extra work. And to be honest with you, between my part-time job right now and editing the podcast, doing the podcast, uh, you know, we have been... Uh, skipping weeks uh, every now and then just because it's just not worked out for us time-wise. And then just thinking about, you know, having to produce extra content, whether that's, you know, physically making things, physically mailing things. Um, it's a big... Uh, it's, a, it's a risk and it's an investment uh, in my time and in actual money. Uh, I, I don't want to say never say never, but I'll, I'll put this out to you, Rohan, and everybody who's listening. I'd like to know if you would, you know, like you can shoot if you shoot us a quick message of just like, no, nah, I probably wouldn't, you know, pay for a Patreon tier, or you would. I have it's kind of hard to gauge, I guess, audience interest in this sort of thing. So I'm I'm reluctant I'm reluctant to do it, not because I'm reluctant to make money that would be awesome, but also because I know that. And I've actually gotten this too. Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a bit with this, so I'll try and wrap it up. Uh, that when podcasts add Patreon tiers and add like new content, I know that I have a friend who th- sees that as like 
really distasteful. Like, they want to hear all of the content without having to pay for it. Uh, well, I don't know about that. If it's extra, if it's if it's, if it's it's not putting... I know what your friend's coming from, but if, if, if it's not putting something that already uh, uh, was free behind a paywall, I don't see any... Like, if we were to come up with a Patreon, it'd be something like a wrestling podcast or some extra stuff for people who are already fans of Elwood City Limits. And I'll also say this. If you want to help out the podcast in any way, the biggest thing you could do is tell a friend who you might think would enjoy it. That's the number one thing you could do for us, more so than just giving us money directly, is, um, you know, spreading the word and letting people know that you think we're funny or this show is good or entertaining or if they like Arthur or just animation or podcasts. That's the number one way you can help us out. That's absolutely true. Uh, another great way is, of course, uh, constructive feedback. Uh, if you ever want to email us with something that you don't w- want to be read on the air, but uh, that sort of thing, we, w- we would always appreciate that, too. I will also add that on our Libsyn site, we do have a PayPal donate link. So if you ever do want to kick us a couple bucks uh, for whatever reason, you can go ahead and do just that. But there's absolutely no pressure to. Um, so we're going to keep kind of gauging interest. Uh, Rohan, I really appreciate your email. Uh, he adds as long, uh, they add, as long as you keep making them, I'll keep listening. Thank you very much. Appreciate everybody's email and everybody's, uh, continued support of the podcast, whether or not we'll get a Patreon or any sort of, you know, um, you know, want the podcast to be financial of, of some degree. The short answer is I'm not sure, but we're going to keep it in mind and we're I, I i'm i'm just happy that we made it to a year and a half going on 2 years and we're still having fun and it's there's still so much to talk about so i i just want to make sure that we keep our wheels on the road before we uh before we take a take a turn you know what i'm saying oh i'm picking up what you're putting down all right okay those were a lot of emails sent in to elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com thank you very much all right let's do it it's time to get to the episode today. We are talking about, first of all, Arthur's treasure hunt. Uh, this is another one that I kind of had a vague familiarity with, but uh, I was a little surprised the episode starting off with uh, Arthur trying to make some sort of uh, kitchen concoction. Not going too well. Uh, and he's talking about what if uh, important people in history had to do everything that their parents told them. Uh, so Arthur goes through uh, a couple of scenarios where he is the historical figure, but he is unfortunately kowtowing to his dad. So first of all, he's Galileo with this like really like it, like this glued on beard. This is like kind of a high concept intro, like because Arthur poses quite the philosophical question. I think the way he phrases it is, "What if other famous." Uh oh, the way he phrases it, like explorers or inventors or something had to listen to everything or stop when their dad told them to, which is like, what if? And so it's like he's, you know, about to discover Jupiter or some such, and his dad tells him to go to bed. Uh, he then he's Sir Isaac Newton. The apple falls on his head, and his dad says, "Stop moping around. Do you expect ideas to fall from the sky?" Har, har, har. And then it turns out this is just a long-winded way for Arthur to justify trying to make a bacon-flavored milkshake with his dad's good cooking equipment. Which a little bit of, uh, speaking of apples falling from the tree, uh, that sounds like something out of his dad's book, given his recent culinary escapades and experiments. Um, Also, a bacon shake? I'd try it. 
Mm-hmm. Bacon donuts at the coffee shop I work at. They sell a bacon. Um, it's like a cereal bar, so it's like an adult Rice Krispie Square, basically, like a homemade one, and they have bacon in that. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I'm not excited about it, but I wouldn't say no if someone offered it to me. I would absolutely say no. There's no way that I am. <laughs> that I, there's no way, dude. Come on. Uh, I, I think Arthur's. Uh, taste buds are starting to be ruined by all of the uh, kitchen liberties that his father is taking. I will say that the bacon does look pretty unappetizing when it's uncooked. Yeah, it's it looks... and like all all around the uh, the kitchen, like with all the like flour. I guess like there's like a weird powder to this shake. Maybe Arthur's mixing it as creatine. Maybe that's why he's got bacon in it in the first place. Is like it's like this super high protein. He's he's trying to make the stack or two of milkshakes. <laughs> uh, the episode starts with uh, the gang are skipping rocks at the pond. Been a long time since I've skipped a good rock. Uh, Buster comes up to them. He's out of breath because he's brought them an arrowhead that he dug up out of his yard. Binky, so we Binky talked. Skips this- it. I got to back on my soapbox again. This was one of the first things we ever talked about in Elwood City Limits. I think it was either episode two or episode three where cartoons, children's TV gives kids unrealistic expectations to what they can achieve in archaeology. Okay. I don't care who you are. The chances are so slim that you would find a Native American arrowhead buried in your backyard. It's just not going to happen. And cartoons like this. Always got me thinking that I could find, like, buried treasure or, like, some dinosaur fossil if I just happened to dig a little bit. It's not going to happen. Yeah, kids, don't. I don't recommend digging up any part of your parents' yard to try and find arrowheads or any sort of uh, knickknackery because, uh, yeah, no, Lucas, you, you said it best. This is just a really stretching the truth a little bit farther than it's meant to be stretched, which, uh, you know, Buster mentions that he was digging around in his mom's garden and found it. And the brain kind of runs with it. Like he explains what an arrowhead is. And then Arthur's like, we could find this stuff in our backyard. He's like, maybe all you got to do is dig. Uh, Arthur, the brain, the brain should have just showed them that Canadian heritage moment where it's like a first person view of like a guy with a spear. This is one of the all time, like most, poorly produced heritage moments or at least it's the funniest to look back on because of the production elements it's very 90s fmv but it's like a first person guy holding a spear and he like stabs a guy and then the guy fades away and then it cuts to modern times and a guy digs up an arrowhead and he goes do you want to know what i think this is and then it ends Helga and Igastiga Ingstrom, or or what have you. Yes, yeah. that's the one. Good yeah. memory, Will. Well, of course. I have a, I have a flair for Canadian heritage commercials. Uh, yeah, and there's like a first-person segment to that. There's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's like mist or something. It's very <laughs> bizarre. The music's very, like, it, the whole thing is, like, very 90s. But my, I just want, like, Braid to pull the arrowhead from Buster and be like, do you want to know what I think this is? <laughs> Speaking of video games, uh, Arthur looking uh, in his imagination digs up what looks like the set of that movie. Did you ever play L.A. Noir? No. Okay, because there's a there's like a real movie set that uh, the main character goes to and I forget what it is, but it's like a giant coliseum. It's like he's... Yeah, like ancient like, Rome. Yeah, it's like he's unearthing Spartacus, essentially. Ah. Uh. 
but that's that's what made me th- that's what made me think of that. So Arthur is uh, very excited to go dig and uh, basically badgers his mom into letting him dig in a very small place, kind of behind the shed. Um, and of course, this is going to be mainly an Arthur and DW episode because DW has nothing better to do than to just kind of badger Arthur. What do you? Not really, you know what? DW is less of a badger, and like DW is not really an annoyance in this episode. More, she's more like just random comic relief. She's just along for the ride, and I like her in that role. Also, she's kind of the one who's talking sense throughout the episode, so that's a little bit of a weird hat for her to wear. Um. <laughs> the first thing uh, that's found is DW pulls out a root that looks like a snake, and <laughs> Arthur thinks that it's real. It's actually a pretty cool looking root. It's it does look a lot like a snake. Uh, she says that not even the Tibble twins fell uh, fell for that, and they're four. Uh, and then she tries to trick Arthur into trading uh, dimes for a penny, uh, which wanna, is want to trade well, one of your tiny dimes for a big <laughs> shiny penny. What are the oldest tricks of the book? Accentuate the positives, hide the negatives. That is the way to try and sell that. Uh, the, so the the first thing that Arthur digs up and finds, it's a I, – I, or wait, does he find the bone after this? Or No, I, he the first thing he finds is the, uh, the, the di- digestive the, d- digestive biscuits. Yeah, the tin of digestive biscuits, which this is a great line. Uh DW's like, what, like, what's digestive mean? Arthur says, like, Reader's Digest, I guess. DW's <laughs> like, what a dumb flavor. <laughs> Reader's Digest, that's a 90s thing to reference. My mom had a subscription to that for a long time. I mean, Reader's Digest, you read it while you poop. Digestive biscuits, they make you poop. It kind of <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> so how do you think those biscuits got there to begin with, or that at least that tin? Like, is there anything in them? Well, spoilers for the end of the episode, but they did say they're 40 years old. So what's 40 years away from 1990? What are we at now? Six? 1996? No, I think we're in 1998 or 99. Okay, 98. What's 40 years away from 98? Let's mental math. Is that's that the, what? That, the... That's the end of the 50s. Uh, The end of the 50s? Yeah, they were just throwing stuff away. People didn't care about littering in the 50s. Are you kidding me? You'd like buy something and you'd immediately like throw it out your window. I'm afraid they might have, like, uh, buried some kind of animal in there. Oh. Well, that's dark. I thought they were just, like, not being very environmentally friendly, but... Buried eight... Buried eight... Uh, not a funny animal. They didn't bury a funny animal, like an animal. Oh, animal. okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, so they kind of take that as a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Arthur then digs up a plastic bone that Pal buried in the yard. And that kind of leads to the next thing. He also has, like, an imagination of what he thinks that everybody else is going to be uh, uh, digging up. So there's, like, a cutaway of Binky using the wheel from Conan the Barbarian to unearth, like, (laughs) the head of the Sphinx. That was really funny. But some of these I don't quite understand. There's a running gag in this episode where, and it starts with this imagination sequence, where Brain uses a metal detector, and he, like... It beeps, it goes off, so he's like, okay, there's metal buried here. And then he digs up a metal detector, which he proceeds to throw into a pile of dirty metal detectors. And I'm just a little bit confused. Like, what's the joke? Like, I don't get it. Like, is it like a dig at metal detectors? Like, they're junk, so people, when they get bored of them, they bury them? It, 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 Will, is there something I'm missing here? 
I'm not sure because I asked in my notes how many metal detectors did Brain bury and why? Like I just yeah, like, did he put the metal detectors there or like I I just I get it's like supposed to be a joke I think I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't think I do either. I I mean I'm kind of into it. It's like kind of some kind of bizarre like maybe like on a Tibbet Eric level of like anti humor. Like why does he have all these metal detectors? But it's just like. I'm 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 confused. Also worth noting that in that brain flash uh that brain imagination thing where he's wearing the metal detector, he's got like the headphones so he can hear like the crackling. The headphones are on his proper ears, not like in that popular image macro where Arthur's wearing it on the side of his head. That's that's I'm glad you pointed that out, Will. Someone needs to tell the truth. Absolutely. I also want to quickly note here that I noticed in this episode that DW's voice actor, Michael Kalos, is beginning to sound a little older and a little bit less like a little girl. Interesting. I didn't quite notice that, but I bet now uh, going forward, now that you've mentioned it, I'm going to keep an ear out for it. Um, so Pal is digging a hole in the backyard and Arthur kind of sees it. Uh, and then, so this is kind of his, he's basically edging around the concept of, uh, like digging more holes in other parts of the backyard. And so he's just kind of like, ah, I could, it's not very deep or very wide. And he's just like, I'm fixing it, but he's just making it bigger. And DW says, you're not, well, she says that it's like, you're not fixing it. You're making it bigger. Mom's going to plots. <laughs> When's the last time you heard plots? Uh, about half a second ago when you said it for the first time that I've ever heard it. Wow. Wait, wait you never watched any Animaniacs with Mr. Plotz? I, I guess I just thought that was his, just his Christian name. <laughs> Not quite. It, 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 is, it is a joke, as Animaniacs are wont to do. So uh, DW is wondering what potentially Arthur could find by digging up the rest of the backyard, and we get a... Uh, again, a lot of cutaways in this episode where Arthur imagines that he finds this, like, this underground door that's decorated with, like, runes and a minotaur. It's like Guillermo, it's, it's like it's... Guillermo del Toro put it there. <laughs> He's going to get chased around in a maze. He's, and he almost, he pretty much stumbles into talking about Mist, an old Sierra game where, uh, it's funny you said that. I actually had the Sierra game note here. He, like, he finds a torch, and he goes down some winding stairs and through this cavern that looks like it's from the end of Return of the King. And eventually he, like, goes through all of these twists and turns and ends up in Buster's closet. So he this fi- was a, finds, this like, was this... This was a great piece of, like, visual humor. I love this because, like, he gets to the final door, and, like, it's one of those things where, like, it's, like, so lit and and uh uh it's this like white glow you're thinking what is behind this door and then uh, arthur i thought he was gonna say oh my god but like the way he delivered the line he goes oh my gosh and then it's like buster's room and it just kind of like sucks the air out of the room and he's like oh hi arthur what are you doing in my closet yeah you want half just a, a weird joke you want half a sandwich yeah it's a it's a long way to go for that I will also mention that this episode does not fully capture just how awful digging is. Like, Arthur's going to be doing a lot of digging, but, like, digging holes, like, there's a reason why there's a kid's book about digging holes is awful. Because it's just hot, sweaty work for no gain. I mean, didn't you ever try and dig a hole to China when you were a little kid? No, sir. I I did not. I have fond memories of trying to get to China. My mom did. My mom would never ever let me, and I would never want to try. 
I'm a, I was a lazy kid and that grew up into a lazy man. <laughs> uh, so Arthur is still trying to get DW to let to like basically to give him the last uh, the last thing that he needs to in order to dig up the rest of the backyard because he says uh, it's not just for me into like basically 10 seconds from one flashback into I keep using these words interchangeably from one imagination into another. And it's this hypothetical scenario where they're doing a barbecue in the middle of the night. The Reed family are. And uh, dad forgets to buy charcoal and <laughs> we get a couple of good reads here from mom where she's like, I guess we'll have to cancel the barbecue. And then our- I love how this wouldn't work if it wasn't for how over the top it is. Yeah. Like the, how oddly specific the problem and solution Arthur comes up with that. He just happened to find a secret passage into the grocery store at night. I love the detail where I was like, is Arthur just going to steal that charcoal? And then he like calculates the tax in his head and pays for it with the otter system. And then of course the, maraschino cherry the icing on the cake of this joke is mom's final line where she's like it's a good thing you didn't listen to me though they do kind of ruin it by having dw point out that that's like a ridiculous thing that she would never say i uh, but i kind of like that i liked how it goes immediately from mom saying it to dw looking arthur straight in the eye like dead-eyed just it's a good thing you didn't listen to me you honestly (laughs) think she'll say that and I was just like, well, she could. So I, I thought that was funny. Um, and then finally, DW still not sure. And Arthur, we get a little bit of his manipulative side uh, in this episode when he's just like, okay, fine. If you want to be a barbecue wrecker, then we won't d- dig any more holes. Like really guilting her into, into basically giving him permission to dig up the rest of the backyard. DW's like, maybe you could dig a little. Then we get a montage of Arthur going Arthur going ham, digging all those holes. Es- essentially, they dig up the entire backyard and don't find anything. Arthur's about to move to the front yard, and then all of his friends come back to report their findings. And Arthur, again, he, he has a big anxiety that everybody will uh, have better stuff than him. But it turns out all this all the stuff that they found is pretty unremarkable, all things considered. Uh, the one that I wrote down here is uh, Binky brings to them a root that he thinks looks like an iguana, uh, and he decides to call it Anguan. And then uh, DW says, you named your root? And then Binky responds with, I name all my roots. Um, uh, Muffy, Muffy like has like a pearl necklace that she bought from a, ju- from a jewelry store that she, that she justifies by saying that uh, uh, jewels do come from the ground or whatever. Uh, uh, Brain has some pennies from the seventies. Yep. Uh, I man, I that reminds me. I haven't found a penny on the sidewalk in a long time. Not that it would do me any good because pennies are worthless. I was just gonna say, well, that's because they are illegal. That's right. In Canada. Um. So and then Arthur finally reveals what he found, including the tin of digestive biscuits, which everybody thinks is really cool. Um. Actually, Arthur Arthur doesn't even bring out the tin. He's like, oh, we found some rocks, but I didn't name any of them, like the Bicky's root. He's, like, distraught. And then DW produces the tin of digestive biscuits. And uh, Brain sur- supposes that it's probably around 40 years old, and we get uh, the, the line that made my hair turn gray. 
That uh, Muffy says, that's how old my mom is. That's ancient. <laughs> that's funny, though. Kids always think, like, uh, like you tell, like, a little kid you're 16. They're like, wow, do you have a mortgage? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is it is a good kid joke. So, yeah, I, I remember those days when 40 seemed old and now, ugh, well, <laughs> it's coming sooner than it isn't. Uh, but Buster says uh, that Arthur's really lucky that his mom let him dig up the backyard. And Arthur kind of like snaps out of it and realizes that what he did. So he enlists everybody's help to undig up the backyard to fill in all the holes, basically. Which... So we have this quick montage of people filling in the holes, but I have some questions. Yeah. Uh, there's a part where they're like putting stones back onto a path. It's like, Arthur, why were you like... Why are you taking those stones off the path? He wasn't even digging there. He was just destroying his backyard. Yeah, and essentially, I mean, they do fill the holes, but all of the evidence is still there. And, of course, they're all covered in dirt. Uh, Mom comes home, and they uh, try a couple of quick excuses, like like outlandish excuses for why they're covered in dirt and why there's holes. But then Arthur just kind of fesses up. And we do get it's It's a bit of a, uh, a grave end to the whole yeah. thing, you know. Arthur is very sincere and apologizing, and then, uh, and then Mom says, "After I specifically told you not to, I'm disappointed, Arthur. Very disappointed." And it's like you know uh, you you know usually in in you know instances like this we get like, it's like, well, you did the wrong thing, but I'm glad that you told me. But it's like, nope, Mom is just mad, and I imagine that she really would be because now she's gonna have to pay to resod all of that grass. <laughs> what are you talking about, Bicky? Took that, like, loose piece of grass and placed it on top <laughs> of that hole. Yeah, luckily. So maybe they can get away with that one. But the rest, well, that's going to cost them. Uh, the episode ends with everybody in Mr. Ratburn's class the next day. And Arthur saying that he found an old harmonica in his parents' garage, which Buster and Brain take to mean that Arthur is grounded for the rest of the week and is cleaning out the garage, which he says is true. And it looks like he's grounded until the week after next. So he's grounded for a good couple weeks. Yikes. And, yeah, there you go. And now, a word from us kids. And now, a word from us kids. Uh, So not a whole lot to say about this one. This is talking about a school gardening club. And I I don't think my school ever had a garden club. I don't think mine did either. Uh, they're planting geraniums. Yeah, that uh, was a, that was a project that I did in school once. But uh, you know, we did that in um, uh, glass jars. And, a couple things from this. Yeah. Uh, at some point, one kid tells the other, "Okay, good job, Jamal." Which I just like that. That was just fun. Uh, also, at the very very end, they try to sneak in this part where the kids again. Unrealistic expectations. Dig up a horseshoe, okay? And, uh... Do you think this was staged, Will? I have the same question. I have the same question in my notes. For lack of a better term, do you think this was a planted horseshoe? And the thing that definitely gives me pause is at one point the kid says this line very unnaturally where they're like, we just saw this old thing. And that sounds like something a producer would tell a child to do for B-roll. Yeah, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past them. I'm just like, well, they didn't find anything, so here's a horseshoe, and that because that seems that seems like something that would be buried. So I, uh, 
not I mean not to not to call anybody out here, but I I find this a little dubious myself, and I wanted to ask you the same thing. But hey, no matter what, Jamal did a good job. He sure did. And we we should all strive to be like Jamal. Good job, and, Jamal. And, good job, Jamal. Yeah. Hashtag good job, Jamal. All right, second half of the episode is here. It's Return of the King. No, not that Return of the King. Uh, this whole episode takes place at the Elwood City Renaissance Fair. Oh, weird! I right here. I had a, Mount Doom. No, no, no. Sorry. The Mines of Moria. No. No, no, not at all. That's back oh. in. That's back in uh, the Arthurship of the Ring. Oh. Uh, yeah. So the uh, what I, I guess is called the Elwood City uh, Ren Fair. Be- um. I, I, I guess that was its actual name. I, I can't remember if I saw it or not. Uh, so uh, Mr. Rappern's class is there for a class field trip, and they're just taking in everything. Uh, and, of course, we get all the appropriate jokes, including Buster wanting to try some haggis. <laughs> There's a part where, like, uh, <laughs> Mr. Rapper, it's like, okay, pay attention and take notes of, like, all this historical stuff because you will be quizzed on it. And there's, like, a guy yelling, haggis, two for a dollar. And there's a great moment where Buster's like, two, haggis, two for a dollar. Like, he writes that down. Like, it'll be on the test. Uh, have you ever had haggis? No. Um, my, uh, I have, like, me and my sister have these two, like, haggis tree ornaments for a Christmas tree that we bought in Cape Breton. Uh, that's, like, the closest I've ever had to trying haggis. But, no, I haven't had it. I think my sister had it when she went to Ireland or Scotland. I'd really like to try some. Uh, kids, if you're not aware, haggis is – it's uh, – I'm getting this from Wikipedia, of course – a savory pudding containing sheep's pluck, which is the heart, liver, and lungs of a sheep, minced with onion, oatmeal, spices, and salt. Kind of – to me, the way it looks kind of reminds me of a cabbage roll, which is big in my family. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully I'll get to try haggis one of these days. Uh, Mr. Ratburn spots the golden griffin, which is given to the uh, given to the uh, I, like the class that determines the most knowledge about medieval history or some such. Uh, we get a cut. We get a cut of Arthur here, Ferris Buellering, and he's just like, "Boy, Mr. Ratburn really wants that golden griffin." <laughs> I do like you talked about though uh, changes in character. Uh, I we get to see Mr. Rapper's competitive side in this episode, which is not something I'm so used to seeing. And I I thought it was an interesting twist with him. Also, him enthusiastic in a way that we don't normally see either. Uh, and Arthur thinks that they're a cinch for the Golden Griffin because no other no other class is, uh, works harder than they do, which as we've seen so far with the classes at Lakewood elementary is very true. But then all of a sudden a great rumble is heard in the distance and in comes the class from what looks to be private Academy gl- or private school, Glenbrook Academy. Led, uh, led b- by their fearless leader, uh, teacher, Mr. Price Jones. And let me just say this. Well, of all the decisions made with this episode, by far, the most genius writing decision is that whenever a character refers to Mr. Price Jones, they say his full name. I don't know why, but I find that hilarious, especially in the Buster lines when Buster's talking about Mr. Price Jones. It just it's really funny to me that they say his full name. I agree. And I really have to also applaud the decision to make the uh, 
the knowledgeable elitist uh, rival teacher have a compound last name? There's something about a compound that last name like that really makes a person a little bit more hateable. But we are also beating around the bush here. The big important thing about this grand entrance is that there's Bizarro Arthur character. Speaking about earlier, we were talking about Bizarro Will and Lucas. Oh man, what a yeah, no, you're right. What a what a what a confluence. It's like that episode where the GI Joes go to the other dimension, um, where the GI Joes are evil, um, and then they like leave some of the GI Joes in that dimension and then go back to their dimension. Because they had to figure out a way to sell kids new toys without actually killing the GI Joe characters. Were the GI Joes were the evil Joes still called GI Joe? I don't remember. In fact, they might not even have been evil. I think I got that wrong. I think it's actually another dimension where Cobra had like taken over, and it's oh. like, and so the GI Joes were still the good guys, but they had they were like a scrappy underdog in this new Cobra regime, and so some of the Joes, like I think like Shipwreck. And some of the other like lesser Joes stay behind so they could replace them with new toys. I see. By the way, I know I know that I said a compound last name makes you a little bit more hateable. No offense to anybody who has a compound last name. I do think that they're cool, but there is a there there can be, especially with this character, there's an there's an air of snobbery about having a uh, a double last name that you have to let admit works pretty well. And it goes. Let me tell you, me and me, they just added Gossip Girl to Netflix, and me and my girlfriend have been watching a lot of Gossip Girl. Uh, and there are compound last names abound in that show, so that should tell you something. Yeah, I think the stereotype that it, it's like for like wealthy people, and the the name goes even better with the performance of Mister Price Jones, who I think is awesome. He's he's like an older, also uh, rat character who is Mister Ratburn's old teacher. Mister Ratburn used to go to Glenbrook Academy himself, and he's got a very uh, affected American accent of just like. Uh, it's like, you know, the thing is, Ratburn, you can't beat us. It's like if Fraser Crane was his teacher. What What was the 70s WCW jobber's name? Number one, is it number one Paul Jones? Uh, there's, like a, there's like a 70s NWA wrestler that is number one something Jones. And I was trying to figure it out, but that's what people saying Mr. Price Jones over and over again was reminding me of. Number one here. I gotta Google this. This is killing me. Yeah, I'm I'm doing it too. Number one, WCW Jones. I think it's Paul. Yeah, number one, Paul Jones. That's a pretty good name. I like that name. <laughs> uh, but, Charlotte, North Carolina. Because of course he is. If he's if he's in the NWA. Oh my uh, goodness he he had 23 championship reigns and led the stable Paul Jones's army. <laughs> so so does that make the Glenbrook kids Mr. Price Jones's army? Yeah, he's they're they're Price Jones's army. No number one Price Jones. Number number one Yeah, exactly. I mean he literally is the defending champion of this Ren Fair. That's true. They've won the Golden Griffin like, I don't know, X amount of years in a row. I forget how long. Uh so basically what the competition amounts to is a series of uh mini games. I'm uh, sorry, Will. I just have to say that in 1983, uh, Paul Jones developed a gimmick of wearing tuxedos and created an angle in which he held a contest in which a large poster of himself dressed in a white tuxedo would be awarded as a prize to the winner. This led to a memorable episode of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling in which the winner of the poster was revealed to be a young, attractive woman. As she walked under the ringside set to claim her prize, 
she attempted to embrace Jones with a kiss as a way of thanking him. Uh, but Jones was embarrassed and backed away quickly. And then Rufus R. Jones came to the ladies' rescue and attacked by Paul. Oh my goodness gracious! All right, so there I'm... Was a, there was a there was a feud between Paul Jones and Rufus R. Jones. So I'm no relation. So I'm uh, I've got the I've got the Wikipedia page for Paul Jones wrestler open here, and I'm gonna uh, put that aside for further reading after we're done here, because clearly he had a. I he had a hair versus hair match with Jimmy Valiant. All right, let's uh, let's leave some for the kids at home to discover, and let's keep going with this episode here with uh, number one Price Jones. Uh, yeah, so it's basically amounts to a bunch of mini games, uh, but, uh, competitions between uh, the Arthur kids and their respective doppelgangers from uh, Mr. Price Jones's class. Uh, the first one is uh, Arthur. Uh, running uh and and they do make a little joke about it of arthur being like have we ever played softball against those guys i don't know they look really familiar uh so the first thing is arthur uh is racing through a maze with his uh with his twin from uh number one price jones's class uh chester and uh chester gets some different advice from mr price jones um he says to navigate via the wind direction and the treetops um uh mr rapper opts for more metaphysical advice like very yoda-esque and tells him to basically use the force and follow his heart i like this line here uh from the guy who's playing because it's merlin's maze um and to to signal that the competition has begun he says hi the hence but Arthur doesn't know what that means, and so he has to go, that means go, kid. <laughs> all of the, like, Red Fair actors, there's, like, a gesture later on. They're all great this episode. Uh, so they run through the maze. Arthur hits a dead end. We get this weird moment where Arthur sees what he thinks is his shadow on the wall, but it's, like, it kind of does the shadow gag where it's, like, doing the same things he does, but then it turns out it isn't his shadow. Like, I guess it was Chester or something. And then Arthur... Uh, accidentally rips through a wall and uh i guess disqualifies himself from the from the maze or at least like he got beat because our uh the chester got there before him but in doing so arthur finds one of the ren fair's attractions which is trying to pull uh the sword out of the stone trying to pull king arthur's excalibur out of a stone it's advertised basically by this guy who in the Arthur, in the way he's designed in Arthur, looks like he could roadie for Megadeth. He's got some, like, <laughs> sweet blonde hair, and he's like, he looks like he looks like he's from a, uh, a Venom album cover. Yeah! Um, he also, like, spells out so literally how to pull the... So- everybody's struggling to pull his sword out of the stone because they're all, like, trying to pull on it as hard as it can. And he's like, it takes a gentle hand to move King Arthur's. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh, okay, so you have to like pull it lightly. All, uh, but all, Arthur doesn't come to this conclusion until a little bit later on. All your might won't set things right. Tis a gentle hand will rule the land. Somehow Arthur gets to skip the line when he just goes up to look <laughs> at the rock, which I thought was kind of strange. Um, so eventually he... He gets told that they lost and goes on to the next one. Uh, Francine does an archery contest with a girl with a rabbit girl who looks just like her. Uh, uses a devious Robin Hood esque tactic. Does the Glenbrook girl? She like 
licks uh, her arrow. Like it, it, it's a plunger instead of an arrowhead, and then like gets it right above Francine so that it slides down and bumps her out of the uh, bumps her out of the center. It's less like archery and more like when you play the target game in Super Monkey Ball, and then you get the power up. So when you when you hit the hit, hit the target at the end. Instead of like acting like normal, some crazy stuff will happen. Like you'll stick to a certain spot. If these, if they were using real arrows, Frenzy would have had this in the bag. Absolutely. Uh, Super Monkey Ball. I haven't played that in a long time. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Super Monkey Ball one and two, very good games. Everything else, not so much. Uh, and they also get beat in a tug of war contest, uh, school versus school. And uh, uh, there's a part in Tug of War where Mr. Price Jones gets the kids to recite Newton's formula of, um, I think it's propulsion or something or, or uh, uh, movement. I forget exactly. But for some reason, this gives them like a strength boost. Like they sidestep and then shift their momentum and then pull back. And then like Mr. Price Jones is like, oh, rapper, you didn't get them to memorize Newton's formula. So that's why they lost. And I'm like, no, it's because you guys shifted your weight and then pulled. Like, the formula didn't give you, like, super strength. Yeah, but it did tell them, like, what what they had to do, though. I mean, he could have said step to the side and then pull back, and it would have worked just fine. Uh, so at this point, everybody's pretty demoralized because they keep losing. Um and we and kind of what I was mentioning earlier about how I like when uh, Mr. Ratburn kind of lighten, I guess, lightens up a little bit and is a little bit more vulnerable in front of the kids. Uh, he's talking about how uh, he was taught by Mr. Price Jones uh, when he was a kid. Uh, and and he has this line where he says, some people think I'm a tough teacher. And Buster just goes, no. <laughs> Buster is the MVP of this episode. Buster's got so many good lines. When he was like, "No," uh, the there's right before that. There's a line about um, Buster has this kind of everybody's kind of distraught that Mr. Price Jones's class is like spanking them in all these games. But Buster has this sort of sobering take where he's like, "I feel sorry for them." Like he's a very tough teacher. Yeah, and Mr. Ratburn. Uh kind of gives us some insight about how tough Mr. Price Jones is and was about how they learned Latin in the third grade and how recess was basically like a ongoing military style physical challenge. <laughs> it's, it's pretty intense. Uh, and Mr. Ratburn kind of is taking a like inventory of himself next to Mr. Price Jones and wondering if he's not a tough enough teacher so the kids are emboldened to try and win because they think that if they keep losing, then Mr. Ratburn will be even tougher on them, which seems almost impossible. The writing in this episode is rock solid because there's multiple motivations that make sense for Mr. Ratburn and the kids to want to win the competition. Uh, for Mr. Ratburn, one, he just doesn't like losing. He's competitive and they've never won before. But also, you know, he wants to surpass and prove to his former teacher that he could also succeed and be a really good teacher because he actually holds Mr. Price Jones in high regard. For the kids, there's this initial 
thing where they're scared that Mr. Rapper's going to get tougher on them. And so that's their motivation is they don't want him to be tougher like Mr. T Price Jones and copy his teaching style. But also later on, they introduce even more motivation for the kids to want to win. And I think it's really clever the way they do that. It makes you all the more invested in the episode uh, that the characters are invested for reasons that make total sense. Yeah, I agree. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, they're eating lunch next, and uh, number one, Price Jones uh, offers his uh, offers the kids an extra uh, helping of figgy pudding to the first person who can answer the trivia question: Who is the thirteenth king of England? There's a great almost Simpsons like gag where uh, everybody on the Lakewood side one by one turns to where Brain is. And then once once the last person looks at Brain, he just looks down because he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> and there's also a good visual gag where number one Price Jones, he kind of looks at Ratburn. He's like, you mean you haven't taught them the song? And, oh, my God. And Mr. Ratburn just like looks so defeated and just slinks down in his seat. I think it's hilarious that he actually starts singing this song. I don't know if this is like a real memorization song, like about how to remember the four. Is it 43 Kings of England? See, I didn't listen to the song. For 42. 42 Kings of England, but we like sort of get the start of it and then like time marches forward and all of the Lakewood elementary kids are like falling asleep and all the, what is it, Glenbrook kids are yeah. like cheering with glee. Well, and we get, and we, and we find out like we have a gag where Arthur looks at his watch and it's like five to 12. And then by the time Mr. Price Jones finishes, it's 1225. <laughs> so the song takes a half an hour which sounds like absolute and utter torture and i think i don't think this is a real song it almost can't be but it's but they did all they did was the lead up and the ending of the song which i think is great and all of the shocked and tired faces from everybody is a really funny visual you should place the ending of the song in here if you can because boy howdy does it they do a good job of making it sound like it's a real like educational song yeah i'll put it right here Winky, C-sharp, please. Here's a song that's more historical than musical To teach the kings of England in the order categorical And now you know a wondrous thing Of 42 English kings So they're trying to find an event that they absolutely can win against Glenbrook. Um... Again, you mentioned Buster talking about number one Price Jones, and uh, Arthur's like, we have to find something we can beat them at. Um, and Buster says, but how? We can't beat them. Mr. Price Jones just said so, and he's always right. <laughs> like, solid logic there. So they find eventually a mincemeat pie-eating contest, which they think is a lock because, of course, they got Buster on their team. Uh, and the person that the the kid that Buster's facing off with, I think, is also DW's voice actor, but like portraying a boy. Interesting. Um, oh, I I didn't notice that at all. I noticed like Arthur's dad was the guy selling haggis at the very first at the start of the episode, uh, but I didn't notice DW uh, doing this kid's voice. I was too distracted by um so they have the eating contest right yeah and buster of course slow and steady wins the race uh the uh, glenbrook kid is neatly slicing up his pie and eating it slowly whereas buster shoving his face stuffing his face and then we cut forward again to the end of the contest buster is in obvious pain uh the glenbrook kid looks like he could eat 
like more and more pies if you could put them in front of him. And Buster sort of, again, continues his streak of being the MVP of this episode, lets out this like this cry of, where does it all go? He's in so much pain, he can't even understand how this kid's eating so much. The kid explains that like he expanded his stomach capacity like physically through giant breakfasts and then asked for ice cream. So the the uh, the silver lining here is Buster did not win, but don't worry Buster, that kid's going to get diabetes. He he like describes how much food he can eat by the gallon, doesn't like, he? Like, like he he, sa- he says he has an 18 liter capacity. Oh my goodness. Like that's uh that's one fat kid you got there. <laughs> Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, in fact, it won. So you know, I can't eat. It. I can't win an eating contest, and I'm still fat. So there you go. Uh, we get uh, the brain competing in something. Or so, sorry, I don't want to miss this. Uh, Muffy uh, plays medieval tennis against her bunny uh, counterpart, but her modern tennis gear is not up to the standards of the old way of tennis. Which I I should have I should have looked this up because I. They were like, they. I didn't know they had tennis in the Middle Ages. And then they talk about how this king used this tennis racket in the 16th century. And I'm like, is all of this just BS? Like, is this just Arthur with misinformation lying to me? Or is tennis really this old? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really don't know. And they have like a, a, a throwaway line of like how the kid is just like, it was invented by Henry III, who is my great, 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 great uncle, which I... Don't know if it's true or not. I could look it up. Maybe I will later. Uh, According to Wikipedia, uh-huh. tennis was first played between 1859 and 1865. So I think Arthur might have just been lying to us. <laughs> See, kids, that's why you always got to check your sources. Uh, so the next one is the brain playing a trivia contest, which has the giant wheel from Uh-Oh!, as uh, <laughs> I don't know if our American listeners had uh oh I think it's a Canadian show right it is they will never they will never know the nostalgic joy of the Punisher dropping that goop you know if if we had the technology I would I would love I would love for us to like riff an episode of uh oh <laughs> oh man that'd be sick maybe 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 we'll see about that in the future I'll keep that I'll keep that on the list uh so the question that is asked is what planet does the earth of revolve or, or what what is it um what, like what does the moon revolve around what is it what do all the planets revolve right. around thank you what do all the planets revolve around yeah see shows what i know uh <sighs> and brain easily guesses that it's the sun but uh the guy says the correct answer is the earth and then we and then brain's like but no that's wrong and the guy's like you have to give the answers as they were thought to be correct during the Middle Ages, which is fine, but they clearly didn't explain this to them before they started, so I'm calling bullshit. Imagine if Brain like went on Reddit in 2018 and saw people trying to claim that uh, all the planets revolve around the Earth and the Earth is also flat now. Uh, I wonder what he would think of that. Uh, <laughs> I don't even want to know. I don't even want to entertain <laughs> those people, to be honest with you. Um but Buster but is will the horizon line. Uh, <laughs> horizon line. Uh, Buster has a great line here where uh, he kind of stands up. He's like, "Well, we're gonna lose. I'm I'm off to go get some uh like um like a unicorn dog or something." He goes, "Yep, that's it. We've lost for sure now." Uh, 
And then he goes to get something to eat, and then Francine's just like, but you just did a pie-eating contest. And Buster says, I feel empty inside. Oh, my goodness. Buster had me cackling this whole episode. So the last event that they can try to win uh, is a castle-building contest, which Arthur is very adamant that they try and win because when he was trying to take out the sword again from the stone, he overhears Principal Haney talking to number one Price Jones, and he infers that he might be looking to replace Mr. Ratburn with Price Jones. So, again, like I was saying before, this is such a genius, like, element to add in to raise the stakes of this final game. Like, as the tension's building, um, not only are they worried that Mr. Ratburn is going to change his teaching style to be more difficult, but now they're worried that they're actually going to lose Mr. Ratburn as a teacher. I just thought this was, like, it's so clever the way this uh, episode basically ratchets up the tension with this and also explains why the kids are so invested. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're right. I, I, I like I, I hadn't thought about the fact the multiple motivations thing until you mentioned it there. Uh, it, it reminds me, this is kind of an odd aside, but it reminds me of the movie The Silver Linings Playbook. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but one of the genius yeah. pieces of writing in that movie is it all sorts of uh, accumulates with this dance contest, right? Um, and that movie does a really clever thing where basically all the characters are invested in what happens to this dance contest, but for totally different reasons. Uh, like Robert De Niro's character is like made a double or nothing bet that uh, is based upon one, the Eagles winning a football game and two, the dance contest. So he's invested all of a sudden at the end. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character is invested, like Bradley Cooper's character is invested. And so um, it's a really genius way uh, to make that movie uh, work at the end and again raise the stakes and so I love that this episode does the same thing yeah I, I I've actually seen the silver linings playbook three times so I know exactly oh what my you're gosh and like two of those times were in theaters strangely oh wow uh yeah no I've seen that movie more than I think that I have I like it I like that movie um so they make uh the Lakewood kids make a really cool castle I thought this this kicked butt um, working drawbridge and everything. Yeah, it's great. And it looks like they've won, but again, I feel like this fair has a problem with communicating its rules of the game because the guy who's judging it, who also looks to be the guy who was working the Excalibur uh, earlier, uh, says that it's, it's like their castle's really good, but the prize is for the most historically accurate castle, which Glenbrook wins because theirs is made out of like mud or something. And then, like, uh, number one, Price Jones uh, talks about how the arrow slits are too wide. Um, and then he gets ultra nitpicky and says that back in the day, Lakewood would have been spelled with an E on the end. Yeah, just all of, just all these ways that they lost points. So, that's ah, screwy. But Mr. Ratburn's still very proud of it, and he's going to display it. And as they are getting ready to leave, they notice Arthur isn't with them. And it's because he is still at trying to pull Excalibur. And then finally, he has a flash of inspiration and he understands what he has to do. We get a little thing here where he's in line uh, behind number one Price Jones who can't get the sword out of the stone. But then Arthur realizes he just has to kind of jiggle it a little bit really lightly. And then he lifts. Our, there's, there's a great line delivery here where he's like, why won't? You move! And it reminded me of, I don't know if you've ever seen those Skyrim in real life videos, 
but it's the one where the guy goes into the pool like he's acting like a skyrim npc and uh like one of the guards that draws the sword and he like is swimming in the pool and he's like why won't you die like doing the skyrim voice acting and like i forget if it's arthur who says this or uh price jones but their delivery is almost exactly the same Hmm. no it's arthur but it's in an earlier scene uh, so Arthur takes the sword out of the stone and he becomes king of the medieval fair, crown and all, uh, which is pr- which is pretty awesome. And then mis- and then number one, Price Jones remarks that not only did Arthur beat all of his students at guessing uh, the riddle of Excalibur, but also himself, which I thought was kind of I-, I thought that was kind of cheap. It's like uh, Glenbrook uh, Academy is smarter than Arthur and his friends in every way. Until they're not, for some reason. Like, I have I have trouble believing that not one of the Glenbrook kids figured out the riddle. I will say that this is a bit of a deuce ex machina to, like, wrap up the story. Like, even though the kids failed at everything else, uh, number one, Price Jones is impressed enough that Arthur, like, beat them at this one thing at the end. But I will say that I actually felt better about it because uh, Price Jones uh, makes a really good... Uh, explanation he gives a really good explanation where he says that you know you taught Arthur to think for himself and that's like the most important thing for a teacher to teach someone Mm. and that's true you could get them to memorize facts all day long but if you don't teach them to have basically their own compass and their own deductive reasoning then there's no point to just uh they there's a lot of parts of this episode where the kids refer to the Glenbrook kids as robots like they're robots they're basically just regurgitating facts and I think this is a pretty example it exemplifies that that Arthur was able to kind of think outside the box because he's learned to think for himself and the Glenbrook kids were unable to do so. You've had some great observations this episode. I I, I don't want to get ahead it, but I very much like I really like this episode. Uh well we're just about there. Uh the just the end of the episode is them traveling back home and Mr. Ratburn realizes he hasn't given he hasn't given them homework for today, so he's gotta get right on that. Uh, Arthur, again, Buster caps it off with another great line. He goes, my brain hurts just thinking of Mr. Price Jones. That was that was earlier in the episode, right before they left. Yeah. So, absolutely. Uh, all right, so let's, uh, let's take it back a little bit, all the way back to Arthur's treasure hunt. What would you think of that one? Arthur's treasure hunt's okay. It's like, it feels really short because very little happens in it. It's like Arthur decides he wants to dig a hole. He digs a hole. And then he gets his comeuppance for digging the hole. Uh, also, the moral's kind of weird. It's like, don't dig up your mom's lot if she tells you don't. And also, like, even if a can of digestive cookies isn't cool to you, it might be cool to your friends. It's fun. I, I don't know. I, I think it's one of those episodes where, like, I dig a lot when I was a little kid. So it makes sense that, like, kids would want to see this in kids television like digging holes because that's just like a childhood thing for some kids uh but i don't know it's like not a lot happens in this episode yeah i don't really have any strong feelings one way or the other it's just kind of meh uh i will say though and i i don't really like to be too critical of the animation because of course i can't do it uh but i did notice that the animation in this seemed a lot simpler uh, the normal, not a lot of like big expressive movements or, you know, just kind of, just kind of characters staying on model, not moving around too much in, in some shots. So it wasn't, wasn't the greatest it's ever been. Yeah. It was just kind of like, 
I mean, I, I'm really, I my my notes for this were not very long either. It's just kind of there were a couple of fun ideas in there and fun visual references and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, it's not really one that I would return to again and again or anything like that. It's just kind of, yeah, it's there. Now I also think this episode is done a disservice by the episode that immediately follows it. I think if this episode was paired with another uh, more middle of the road episode, I'd be more kind to it. But gosh. The Return of the King is such a banger. Uh, so I'll say that I don't think I like it as much as you do, but I do like it. It's Return of the King is a very good episode. Uh, I think I think you really actually improved my experience with it uh, because I kind of wasn't. I don't think I was thinking on the levels that you were, but now that now that I am, uh, I find I appreciate it even more. Um, I think the idea, like the idea is really fun of them going to a Renaissance fair. It kind of gets them out of the classroom and into a new environment while keeping everybody there. Uh, we get some really good rat burn highlights in this episode, which I appreciate cause he's might be my favorite character too. Um, we get another look into his origin story, like why he's so hard on the kids. Yeah. Uh, I, his I, mentor. I loved the character of number one price Jones. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, and the and like the the Glenbrook kids, I thought were very good foils for the group, and I just yeah, I thought this I thought this really worked. It's very memorable. It's funny, and you're right. I I, I don't want I don't want to take your talking points away from you. So Lucas, please uh, kind of go a bit more uh, in depth with it. Tell us why you love this episode. Well, I'll say first off, I do like it for all the same reasons you do. Like, I do love the change of scenery. They could have just made an episode about them going to a Ren fair, so that's just exciting enough just to get them into a new locale. And I love the trope of bizarro versions of the class. Like, whatever that shows up, whether it's a sitcom or animation, where it's like, oh, it's like us, but like a little bit different. Uh, that's always a really fun trope to be, so I got a kick out of that. Uh, but this episode works for a lot of, like, just basic, like, screenwriting reasons. For one, there's a driving motivation throughout the whole episode because it's a contest. But like I said before, the reasons they get both Mr. Rapper to care about the outcome of the contest as well as the kids. And then they go even further to ratchet up the tension because the kids think that Mr. Rapper is literally going to not be their teacher anymore. So it raises the stakes. It just gets you really invested in the episode. <laughs> Just like with anything, like, sometimes we give Arthur a pass, I think, just because it's a kid's show meant for kids, so they don't have to worry about things making sense that much. But when all of your characters' motivations are true to the characters and make perfect sense, it gets the audience that much more invested in the episode. So all those things combined, plus Arth Buster's hilarious in the es this episode. Like, his delivery when uh, <laughs> Mr. Rapper's like, some people say, I'm a tough teacher. And then Buster's like, no! Like... That killed me. I had to pause. I was laughing so hard. So this is definitely, of the episodes in season three, this is definitely in my top three episodes of season three. Not sure if I'm ready to say it's my favorite of the season yet, but I have nothing but good things to say about it. I'm sort of similar in that I'm not sure if it'll be on the list. Well, I, I, you know, well, you know what? I take that back. I think it will be on the list in some way or another. It's very, very good. And, uh, I, I don't think I love it as much as Lucas does, but I can absolutely see why you do. All right, so there you have it. It's Arthur's Treasure Hunt and Return of the King, uh, maybe themed in that sort of way. What did you think of the episode, and what do you think in general? Would love to hear from you on myriad topics and, of course, uh, 
uh, hopefully centering around Arthur, the podcast, and more. Here are the ways that you can get in touch with us. We are on social media, of course, at all the places. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Uh, on Twitter at ECL Podcast. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And you can email us, much like all of our great emailers did this week. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Uh, you can find our website, ElwoodCityLimits.Libsyn.com. L-I-B-S-Y-N. Uh, and you can also find us on Apple Podcasts and on the Google Play Store. Well, I certainly hope that we will be returning very soon because next time it's going to be a Double Decker DW episode. Is that just what it's called? It's double Decker DW episode? It's, well, I mean, it could be. Uh, we, we, we could do that if we wanted to. Uh, but it is going to be two episodes featuring DW quite prominently. Next time, we're going to be talking about Attack of the Turbo Tibbles and DW Tricks the Tooth Fairy. Ooh, I think I remember both of these, so this is exciting. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you, and we certainly hope that you keep listening. Thanks, everybody, uh, for, well, continuing to make this podcast very, very special. I uh, hope you have a great week wherever you are, a great couple of weeks if we end up missing another one. Lucas, how's that man cold doing? I'm over it, but unfortunately, my poor girlfriend has caught it from me. So, oh no, uh, it's it's a disease-ridden household right now. Not the not the woman cold. <laughs> well, hopefully that uh, leaves your house very soon. Uh, my name's Will Young. This has been Elwood City Limits, and for Lucas Mancini, I name all my roots. See you next time.